action. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Average Critics, joined as usual by Chris and Doby. How are you both? Good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good. You? Um, so today we are going to be talking about the final episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and uh, going through the Oscar winners um, and any that we think maybe were overlooked or some of the contentious decisions. Um, but first of all, uh, you guys have seen Mortal Kombat, which from the trailer that was released looked like a really good action film, um, mm. like R-rated action film. But from your reactions, it doesn't seem like it lived up to that trailer hype. So, so what happened? Um, Chris, do you want to take it away? Because I feel like you know more about Mortal Kombat than I do. Yeah. Um, I don't know, because uh, obviously I haven't watched the original Mortal Kombat films in a long time, but I did quite like them, even if they were quite retro in the, uh, the word, retro in the uh, visuals department. Um, mm. But I can't remember the character name. But, like, I feel like the main character in this, so basically it's about a guy, no, it starts with a, a ninja warrior. I assume he's ninja, sorry. That's maybe a bit too uh, presumptuous. Basically, this guy who's got ice ability comes to kill him. Well, appears to be no reason to us. Uh, does, in fact, kill him. And but the guy manages to save his baby boy. We then go to the future where this guy is really shit at fighting, but he used to be once a world champion. Uh, he then gets attacked by this ice guy. Uh, then he gets re- then he gets recruited by these people who know about the Mortal Kombat sign because all these people have the sign tattooed on their body or imprinted on their body. And should you kill someone with this imprint, the sign then goes onto your body. Uh, and then basically the whole premise is there's a, there's uh, a tournament each year or each decade. I don't know. I can't remember what they said. And if the bad guys win ten out ten ten in a row. They get to rule the world or something. Tell me if I'm missing anything here, Robes, because it was a no. bit wishy. Yeah. yeah. And basically, they they get taken to the good guys' temple. The good guys come to train them. The bad guy recruits some people. The bad guy, the bad guy steals one of the good guys' people, but you kind of knew he was going to switch sides anyway, which that also didn't really make sense, that part, but I'll get onto that one when we're not actually discussing it. And then... Basically, they don't have the tournament, but the good guys essentially beat the bad guys because the guy who died in the first scene comes back from hell to help his son kill the bad guy. But it's not like his—it's not his son. It's like his great, 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 great grandson. Oh, is it not his son? It's like the 1600s, the first scene. Oh, is it? Oh shit! Yeah. Okay, bad. Um, well, there you go. He comes back to help his son and to defeat the the big. Not the big boss, but the the guy with the ice. And then the big boss comes back and he's like, it's not over. Uh, yeah, and then there's a thing about Johnny. And then there's this cutscene at the end uh, about Johnny Cash, Johnny Storm. Cage. Cage, that's it. So that implies, because I read online that Mortal Kombat, they will make another one, but only if the fans want it. So I'm assuming that leads to... What I remember the second one to be the two characters, Johnny Cage and something else. Um, how, where do I start with this? Visually, I don't think it was that bad. I don't think it was great, but I don't think it was, I, I mean, 
for what it was, I thought it was quite good. Unless Ivy looked at it in more magnified. No, nah. Visu- visually, I thought it was fine. Like especially yeah. the effects with the ice, I thought it was really actually really cool. Uh, and then they like it was quite gory at parts, like when the guy slaps his hands and smushes someone's head off. Mm. Um, it was that reminded a me of um, story. If you yeah. if if I'm being honest, um, I didn't just didn't, I just didn't enjoy the story. Um, the character, some of the characters are a bit pathetic. Um, there was the bad guy who joined the good, there's a guy who joined the good guys for money. Then the opposing team, the bad guy said, oh, this guy, watch out for him because he did this to me. And I'm thinking, oh, here we got, we've got a revenge fight coming on. And then he fucking recruits him. I'm like, what the fuck? Unless I missed something there, Robes. I don't know. No, well, the, the, the two characters have, a history, but we don't really hear anything about it. Or no. they don't. They just say that like, it was like a line in passing, saying, "Oh, he's the reason why I'm wearing this yeah. suit or whatever," because it's something wrong with his lungs or whatever. But they don't actually tell us what happened. We don't really see what happens. So yeah, it's a bit, a bit rubbish. Um, um, yeah. The bad guys seem to just dominate, and then the good guys suddenly just switched it on. Oh, the good guys didn't all have their powers to begin with. Actually, in fact, none of them. Well, only two of them did. And oh, this, that's another thing, Glenn. Sorry. Over time, people with the dragon tattoo will get powers. So a guy has his arm ripped off, and his power then becomes he has a robotic. No, he gets a robotic arm put on him, and with his power, he gets like a souped-up robotic arm or arms. And then the good guy who turned bad, he had a laser eye where his eye got scratched. Uh, the guy who is the main character, I assume. He gets this like metal impenetrable body. Um, what does the lady get? She has like cannons on her arms. Cannons on her arms, yeah. Uh, it's a very far fetched story, really. <laughs> I mean, that's not. I don't have any issue with that, to be honest. The far fetchedness of it all. Um, my problem is that uh, it's just like you said, Chris. The story is not very good. There's very little character development. Every everyone kind of just stays the same as they were when the film started. Um, the the whole thing is very matter of fact. Like there's no like everyone kind of just goes along with everything. Like the the ice scorpion is the ice person's name. He just comes along and starts trying to kill all the champions or whatever who they call. That's what they call the people with the tattoos. So he comes along like near the start of the film and tries to start killing everyone with his ice powers and then. Um, the couple of more experienced characters, I suppose, who've kind of been researching about Mortal Kombat, they kind of just tell Cole, who's the main character, everything about like what's going on in Mortal Kombat, and he kind of just accepts it, and his family just kind of accept it. Like nobody really questions anything about this this world, and it's not established in it's not established in the story that like if it was like a thing where you know like in Invincible where like there's just monsters and there's just people with superpowers and everyone's just cool with it. They don't establish that in this. Like, as far as we know, it's just a normal, calm world. And then suddenly, some guy with powers just comes and tries to start killing people, and nobody really gives a shit. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's just it was a bit a bit rubbish. Um, the story is the story is very thin. Um, there's not really a lot of. Not really, it's a very it's a simple story, very predictable story, and that's not a problem as long as it's the story's told well. And I don't think this one is. 
Um, some of the dialogue is really, is like I say, it's really bad. The characters don't develop, characters stay the same. Um, and yeah, there's some, there's some cool, um, fight scenes, especially in the beginning. Um, so I think then we were talking last week about, uh, them releasing the first seven minutes of the film. Yeah. Um, and in those, those seven minutes are actually pretty, are actually pretty good. Like, probably, sorry, it's probably the best scene in the film, if I'm being completely honest. Um, <laughs> that's probably why they put it out. Um, but yeah, and that was enjoyable. Some of the, some of the deaths were enjoyable as well. Some of them were really brutal. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I just, I didn't have a, that much of a fun time watching it, if I'm being honest. And yeah, the acting wasn't, wasn't exactly spectacular either. Even though it's, you know, you don't expect these sorts of films to have like super strong actors, but even then I was still a bit let down. Yeah. I guess, I guess we should have known from the fact that they felt the need to release the first seven minutes that. Yeah maybe it wasn't being very well received. Mm. Um, so that's a real shame. Um, I mean, I, do, I know absolutely nothing about the Mortal Kombat um, video game franchise. No, I, I, I sort of presume it's similar to like Tekken, where you just pick up two characters and then just button bash to kill each other. But Yeah, it is. it's pretty brutal as well. So I guess if there's not necessarily a linear story in the video game franchise, it would be quite difficult to conjure one up but still yeah. I mean I feel like that's kind of technically that tends to be the problem with these um, video game films um, that they just don't really like yeah, they, they try and take all the cool stuff from the games which is fine and like all the catchphrases or whatever whatever. but then when it comes to actual like the plot and like think the story moving along it just seems to be lacking and in my head now I'm trying to think of a video game that's become a good film and I can't really think of one Detective Pikachu. Oh, come on. Detective Pikachu isn't, ba- isn't a bad film, in fairness. Um, but it's just not, in my opinion, it's just not good. Similar mm. to this. But I enjoyed that a bit more than this. The one that disappointed me the most was um, Assassin's Creed. I knew those you were going to say that. Yeah. Those games are quite like rich in, mm. in their story and the world building stuff. But they just... I don't know, they just did not kind of go with it with the film. Yeah. They they should have, you know, properly tried to go into the mythology of it. Because in Assassin's Creed video games, it's all about, like, every time you go into the Animus, which is where you can then jump, basically jump into different time periods because they're mm. all ancestors. But mm. there wasn't that much of that in, in the video game, in the film, sorry. So, uh, yeah, maybe they should have done this film where... There's just, you know, five minute fight scenes and in between there's just a, you know, uh, choose him, choose him. And then, you know. They did a couple of those like weird, like there was like a couple of finish hymns and all stuff like that and fatality and all that crap. And I was like, okay. Oh, was, really? I get, yeah, I was like, I get, I get it. This yeah. is for like the people who like love the games and stuff. But when I was watching it, cause I don't play the games, I was watching it. Even though I knew what it was from, I was kind of like, this just feels weird. And even one of the characters was like, um, I think, uh, I can't remember his name, but the the ancient one that Chris is talking about who gets killed in the beginning comes back at the end. When he's fighting at the... We don't see him ever speak any English, only, only um, Japanese. And at the end, he just goes, get over here! And I'm like, you've spoken no English in any part of this film. And all of a sudden, you just like, get over here. I was like, okay, whatever, sure. But yeah, anyway. Well, it cost... Wikipedia says it cost 55 million to make and has already made 51. So yeah, fair enough. It'll, it'll probably make a little bit of a profit and then they'll probably at least do one sequel. See, I, can, I can see a sequel being better because I could see the sequel being the tournament. 
Mm. And that I would probably be more inclined to watch rather than a load of misfits getting together to fight evil that we don't give a shit about, you know? Mm. But, I don't know. Yeah, can't yeah. Um, So, out of ten? Five? Five and a half, six. Okay, so... Average, just below average. Yeah, it's not. It's not a bad. Like, it's not horrible. Like it's watchable, but it's, I just didn't find it very fun. And it's probably because I'm not that connected to the franchise. Similar to Detective Pikachu, really. Yeah. Fair enough. Um. Well, then let's see how you reacted to the finale of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So, uh, episode six, which is crazy considering you know one division three episodes longer, although albeit shorter episodes. Um, so we basically it's it's just the conclusion of everything, isn't it? You know, Bucky trying to stop the flag smashers who have kind of taken over the global repatriation council GRC. Um, they want to hold them hostage to sort of force them to change their mind, but Carly's very much like, eh, well we can kill them, it doesn't matter. And she's very much like, I will die for the cause. The cause yeah, I'm not going to lie. Um, go, go, can't interrupt you really quickly. Sorry. It was, I thought it was really funny when, um, yeah. when Carly was like, yeah, I'm ready to die. And everyone was like, mm, I'm not sure. Yeah, and she was like, like, one world. Yeah. And everyone was like, <laughs> silent. She's like, one world. That was very funny. Like, oh, what people? <laughs> that was jokes. So. Yeah, that people aren't in it, are they? Yeah. And then you've got, I think I've got, called him Bartok last time, but Batrock uh, is sent essentially by the power broker who is <gasps> Sharon Carter. Shot. Chris's jaws just hit the floor. Um, oh, so... that's a dead thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> so he tries to kill uh, Sam in his funky new um, outfit um, and uh, Carter and shooting um she kills Carly, doesn't she? Yeah. And then she also shoots Black after he tries to blackmail her. Um, but obviously Sam and Bucky don't know she's the power broker. And then uh, Sean Walker comes to try and help them out. He's had a little bit of a... They were trying to do like a mini redemption thing, I think, but not quite. And then he becomes a US agent, thanks to Val. Um... And then you see Sam still trying to battle in his own mind with whether he should, you know, fully take up the Captain America mantle. Uh, he talks to Isaiah Bradley about it. Eventually does, um, you know, he, he does an impassioned speech to the GRC um, senator after having saved them. And uh, by the end, the changes Captain America and the Winter Soldier although he's not the Winter Soldier anymore but hey ho um, and... I am because you are so muffled and I'm so muffled you keep just jolting in and out but I'm, I'm assuming you're getting reception and I'm just not hearing it properly Obi are you hearing me okay um, I can hear you but um, it, you know, it is it... Okay, I'll hold my mic closer to my... I don't think it's that. I think it's your internet. I think it's the internet. Um, oh. 
Shit. Okay. Well, you, it's well, as long as you hear us. Can you hear us? Yeah, you cut out a little bit, but... Ah, oh, who cares? I ain't got nothing good to say anyway. Carry on. <laughs> Don't put yourself down. Um, but, yeah, so the, we end up with um, Sam getting a memorial dedicated to Isaiah Bradley to recognise his contribution um, as a soldier during World War Two, which was a very poignant moment. Um, and then that's that's essentially it. You've got Sam fulfilling his Captain America kind of legacy. Bucky at least tells the the elderly man that he killed his son and, and gets closure from that. Sharon is full power broker. Quite why? I mean, I I I still think that's poorly explained. Um, Zemo still manages to kill some of the GRC members from uh, uh, yeah Val gives Walker the uh, US agent time so I mean this uh, episode score which I think is a tad unfair I, I don't I think it's one of the better episodes of the season Last time I saw it was like fifteen percent or something. Mm. Yeah, I think that's harsh. So I, I think that's very harsh. I think that's really. I I think I think the Isaiah Bradley stuff and stuff. I enjoy that. I like his new suit. I like the fact he becomes Captain America and they change the title like card off at the end. I don't think his suit's that great. I think they could have um, made it a little bit more... Um, I think it's a nice look, but I feel like there's, like... Uh, it almost looked too padded. Or is that just me? I see what you're saying, but I quite you like it. Saying? I see yeah, what you're saying, but I, I actually quite like it. Design, I think, I think mm. what they've done is a real good, like, mix of the Falcon and Captain America, actually, to make them quite unique. I think it's quite nice, but, yeah, I thought... I think they maybe need to yeah anyway anyway carry on sorry. It's fresh, but I so I liked I, I liked that and yeah it was really poignant how they do memorialise uh, Isaiah Bradley and sort of recognise his achievements. Um, I sort of thought that Carly and the whole flag matches sort of really just fizzled out. Mm. Um, I, I think they're kind of the policy. You do sort of understand. I mean, to the point where it took Sam two and a half minutes of talking for them to be like, yeah, do you know what? You actually, you're making sense. Whereas Carly was just like trying to blow them all up. And so that really undermined six words worth of their narrative. Um, maybe it's my lack of remembering from the previous films, but I don't quite buy that Sharon would basically trace and try and kill friends and country, even if they did sort of not pardon her. So I mean, I'm happy to be told I'm wrong there because I don't really remember like her storylines from the other films. But mm. to me, I was sort of like, I want a bit more explanation as to why you've gone for Power Broker and more explanation as to what you actually do. Um, but what did you two think about 
the episode and how it kind of ended the season? Um, I I enjoyed the episode, but uh, like you, I think, and everyone else, to be honest, I think there are issues with it. I think it is a bit clunky at points, and it's quite, and it seems to be quite rushed. Um, which makes me curious to know what the plan was, uh, maybe before the coronavirus pandemic hit. If maybe they were going to have more episodes, or, or I don't know, if maybe the coronavirus stopped them from filming certain things or something like that. I don't know. Um, but everything with Sam, um, him getting his new suit, him flying in, saving the day, um, fighting the French guy, then doing all the bits with the helicopter, then his speech at the end, the bits of Isaiah, I thought all that's all that was brilliant. Personally, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, it really hit hit me deep, especially the bits with um, with Isaiah Bradley. Um, I think you're right about the flag smashers. At the end of the day, they're pretty forgettable, which is a shame because I think their their purpose or their cause, I think, is actually interesting um, and something that was worth is worth exploring. And they kind of they tried to kind of like they've tried to flesh it out, but they didn't really do a good job of it. Obviously, they kind of like show Carly and her friends. They show they kind of show this this Mama Donya character who is not really even a character. They um, show you the GRC. Um, the global repatriation company, whatever the fuck they're called, um, and how they were, what they were doing and how they were against it and da da da. da but it didn't really all come together um, in a way that made you that made you feel either that you were on their side or that you were totally against what they were doing. It kind of just yeah. put, me personally it kind of just put me straight in the middle. I just didn't really, I wasn't really invested either way. Um, I mean, if I if I could just jump in, I I, I think if they'd actually had scenes where you could see kind of the refugees kind of being displaced and the treatment that they received mm. um and that was like properly yeah fleshed out so you see actually yeah i do do see why carly's doing this because most of it was just explained through her kind of monologues wasn't it yeah. like oh they do this and that but you don't ever see it so like you're saying as an audience you don't really you're told the flag smashers are bad but you don't ever really get much empathy for them yeah, 100%. Um, so, yeah, I can either take or leave that, to be honest. Um, I think... Uh, what else happened in the episode? So, John Walker's redemption, I, I wasn't really a massive fan of because at the end of the last episode, it looked like he was going to be like on smoke, like, yeah, fuck this country, da-da-da-da. And then he kind of, like... I, I suppose starts the episode that way because he's, like, screaming Carly's name and like, like he's about to kill her. And then the, just the turnaround from him realising what he's doing is wrong was just really, really fast. Um, which I thought, again, it's another thing where, where you think, oh, maybe this episode's rushed or they could have done with him maybe another episode to kind of just give us a bit more of him being unhinged and then move on to him redeeming himself. But I'm wondering if maybe, because obviously now he's US agent, maybe season two, he'll think he's doing things for the good side and it turns out he's working for Hydra or some other sort of evil organisation and maybe that will be then his character arc will develop a bit more, maybe. So I'm holding that hope for that, if there even is a season two. I don't actually know if there is or not. Um, and yeah, uh, I think that was the only really issue I had. Oh, yeah, the Sharon Carter stuff. Again, we've been saying this for weeks. Like We don't really care. Like like you say, it'd be nice to know what she actually wants to achieve, being on the inside, or if that may be her being on the inside and having access to all technology and stuff leads to maybe, um, what's that one with Don Cheadle, Arm Wars? Maybe it's got something to do with that, Stark Tech or whatever. Otherwise, I'm not really that bothered. Um, I understand 
that's why she might be um uh what's it called? Looking bitter. for revenge, I guess. Or yeah, this what were you gonna say, Chris? This and I was just going bitter. Bitter, yeah, yeah, bitter or um disenfranchised, I suppose. Yeah. Um because obviously you get the thing where like uh obviously well we well to us we don't know how long she's been the power broker. You assume for it's been for a couple of years, but you know, uh we see like in, in Endgame or sorry, not in Endgame, Infinity War or whatever, like when the world needs saving, they will call Captain America and Sam and Scarlet Widow and Scarlet Widow? No, Black Widow, sorry, and whoever else to come and, you know, be heroes and they'll welcome them back into America. She didn't get the call, clearly, so she's been wandering around Madripoor for however many years on the run can't speak to your family can't do nothing so I get why being on the run for however many years would turn you bitter especially for, for doing something that you thought at the time was the right thing um, and then to see that everyone else who was involved has been vindicated and been welcomed back with open arms and you've been the only one who's been left out I think that's kind of peak to be fair um, so yeah I don't really care about her character in this though so I'm hoping that what she's doing will lead up to a potential season two for us to see some some extra bits and bobs here. Um, and lastly, it's just Bucky's. But I think Bucky took a back seat in this series to Sam, which I don't mind because I suppose this story is a, pretty much about Sam becoming Captain America, which is absolutely fine. Um, but I wish he he could have even got a little bit more of the scene with the the old Asian uh, Asian dad because he just tells him. It's a good scene. He tells him, oh, yeah, he was killed by the Winter Soldier. That was me. But then you don't see any really any fallout after that. He just kind of moves on. And then he sees him in the pub. And then that's it. And I was like, oh, OK. I mean, I guess he's kind of like getting closure from himself as well. But otherwise, I would I yeah, thought I mean, he could have been a bit more. What, what I didn't get is, is when he looks into that restaurant and the waitress that he sort of flirted with was like serving the old man. She sort of looks at him and smiles. But if the old yeah. man had, like, told her, oh, Bucky killed my son, you'd mm. think she'd be a bit pissy. But so, mm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think room for, room for improvement. Definitely, um, definitely. But say, like, overall, I, I did it, overall, I did enjoy the series. But, like, it didn't quite have the highs of um, WandaVision in terms of, like, th- theorising and just having, like, just being generally excited. Um but I would say I did consistently enjoy it. There was no episode I watched where I thought, oh, yeah, this, is, this isn't good. But I enjoyed at least, I would say I enjoyed at least 60% of every episode that I watched. So yeah, overall I think it was a good series. Cool. Chris, any particular strong feelings for this episode? Um, um, not really. I'm, I, I'll be honest, I, I, I'm in disagreement to... Ivy's comment, but we're all entitled to our opinions. I don't think 60% of it, of each episode was that good. Uh, I like the story arc of the people. I think, again, like you both said, Bucky could have had a bit more. Um, but, like, I don't think the series itself was, like, for the most part, riveting enough. If that's the right word, riveting. Mm-hmm. Engaging enough, maybe. I think the bad guys yeah. weren't really bad guys. And the good guy ended up being the worst bad guy. And it's like, there was too many stories entangled into six episodes. And I I can't stress like how they should have just extended it for like 10 episodes or something like Zemo's character arc. To be fair, Chris, sorry to interrupt you really quickly. I don't, 
it's probably scheduling. They probably couldn't do that because of they got everything else got to come out and it's got to follow this and it's all got to still make sense. True, that's probably true. that's probably why. But, but like they should have just they should have if they took Sharon Carter out of the occasion or if they took uh, the flag smashes out the equation or US agents. They just took one aspect. I'm not saying I wanted them to, but if they took one aspect out, the mm. story I think would have flowed a bit better because mm. we've just gone from the first part. We got the flag smashes and we're all like, oh, the flag smashes. This is a really interesting concept we we could get a really good story out of this and there could be a real big bad guy at the end of this and not discrediting carly but she's a, a young girl who's actually quite naive to a lot of things and then she ends up turning into some a monster really because she decides she's just going to kill anyone for the cause not for the right reasons necessarily uh but her character arc was probably the most developed of them all to then just be yeah, I'd say hers might have been the most developed. Um, bar Falcon and Winter Soldier, I mean. Then we've got US Agent, a guy who's a, a war vet who gets this mantle and like really wants to honour it and then all of a sudden becomes this crazed man. And like you said, within like a click, he's, all oh, right, I'm a good guy. Cool. Uh, that, I feel like, was jumped. Like, a massive chunk was jumped there. Um, Zemo, being the good guy. Or being somewhat of a good guy for a cause he believes in, actually being the pinnacle of a bad guy because he ends up killing the people he wanted to, without even being there. Like I feel like they could have, I don't know what they could have done with him, but I just thought that was kind of mad. Like all the villains we had, and he did the. I didn't have an issue with that, to be fair. I didn't know. No, I'm not having an issue with it. But what I'm saying is, I feel like there's a lot of storylines that come to abrupt endings Mm. just a bit the length we have of this story. Like, I don't like, I don't mind Sharon Carter being the bro- the power broker. In fact, her becoming bad guy actually makes sense because if they disemboweled her and didn't re-envow her, if that's the right word, didn't bring her back, then she's going to be pissed. But I, again, like what I think you were saying earlier, Glenn, I don't necessarily believe her anger. Like, mm. they needed to show more of it. Um... But, yeah. if, if they showed it, then it wouldn't have been the surprise, inverted commas, that it was in the, the sixth episode. But was it that much of a surprise? No, but I imagine it was supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, um, well, then if, then they needed to, i tell you what they needed to do. They needed to introduce an additional character that we could have been fooled to think in. Yeah, 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 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with that, Chris. There was no, there was no one else it could have been, really. Or they would have just done a whole, hey, we're introducing this person and they're the power broker and you'd be really annoyed. Um, yeah. You... Sorry, um, did I? I didn't no, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I, Although a lot of loose ends got tied up really quickly, I did enjoy this episode. Probably, if if anything, one of the, the episodes I enjoyed the, the most, actually. Um, whether I was more engaged to find out what was going to happen, I don't know. I feel like it, I feel like it being the worst episode rating is not very fair. Yeah. Um, I also I think there's a lot of stories that I really liked about this series, like the whole um, Isaiah Bradley uh, story, like learning about him, learning about the history behind the the super serum. Actually, the whole uh, we'll see. I'm not enjoying this part, but it's interesting to see the. Uh, well, the racism, isn't it, of, of it all, really, and how yeah. even in this world of Marvel, we it is 
it is prominent and uh, how it's trying to tackle it. And mm. uh, I think I think it did it okay, good. I think they handled it pretty well, to be oh, fair. Okay. Because uh, yeah. I, I can only give a, so much perspective on it, but like I feel like yeah, like you said, they did it well. Um, but yeah, and I and I like that Sam is going to become Captain America. I think that's really good, and I like the yeah. fact that yeah, Bucky. Same. I think Bucky has developed quite well, but again, like, like I was saying earlier, I think he could have used a bit more development. But mm. it's interesting that he. I think it's quite interesting he sat back and let things happen. But I did yeah. like his. I think it was when he was saying he didn't realise about the racism of it all. Yeah. I thought, but I guess that was. I guess you could say some audience members would probably have like thought that as well. Like, oh, definitely. So yeah, I think they tackled some big issues, and that I assume they're going to continue to tackle them going forward as well. So. Just yeah. quickly piggyback off that, Chris. I think yeah. these two series have done really well to. Um, to make me like these characters more because although I like Bucky um, I wasn't a biggest fan of Sam now I really like Sam I didn't like Wonder or Vision before Wonder Vision and now I like both of them not as much uh, Vision but Wonder definitely yeah um, so I think this series done well to actually make me think okay I'm actually attached to these characters as they might bump them up to like your A-listers kind of thing um, yeah yeah to replace your Tonys Tonys and Steves and whoever not. So before this series, this series, did either were you, either of you particularly bothered if uh, Sam became Captain America, and did the series change your opinion? Um, was I bothered at the end of Endgame? I probably was. Um, I was probably like, because I'm just that's just because I'm so I'm so attached to Steve Rogers. Um, so I suppose yeah, I suppose this did change my mind and sway me a bit more. Now I'm happy for him to be. Captain America, and I'm looking forward to see if he gets his own stories or his own arcs or whatever. I think that'd be pretty cool. Well, I heard a rumour that uh, Captain America... Uh, Umbrella Academy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I heard a rumour there's going to be a Captain America 4 now. Yeah, I heard that too. I, I'm looking forward... I hope that is okay. And honestly, I, I want him to take more of the lead, but I really do want Winter Soldier in it as well, because I do think they've become quite a good duo, actually. Mm. Throughout the series, um, but it it I tell you what this series does because although I'm not necessarily necessarily a fan of the big big story of it all, like I liked Sam's story, I liked Bucky's story, but the obviously I'm not like I said I'm not a fan of the the villainous of it all. Um, it is quite it does make me think maybe the War Machine series will have some goodness in it was that the right word it maybe it will entertain me i don't know i hope so because i don't like don cheadle at all so i don't like don cheadle either <laughs> I, I don't they bring back um uh terrence Terrence Howard. Howard. Yeah. I with don cheadle would i i like you, you guys just said i think the other guy in my mind suits the role better just maybe because we all we've all watched it from the iron man one haven't we so but like i feel like I'm hoping this series really makes his character a bit more entertaining because mm. he's a pretty one-note character, if I'm honest. Mm. And whenever he's tried to make a joke, I'm not sure it pulled off that yeah. well. I think they always <laughs> try to use him for comedic relief and it doesn't really work. Yeah, not, I think they tried to do it in like... Um... Oh, what's the second film? Uh, Someone eating sweets. What's going on? <laughs> so, 
jackets. <laughs> Uh, what was the film? Uh, the second Avengers film when he's trying to make a joke, uh, trying to tell the story joke, and I, oh yeah, yeah, and I was like, this is so dead. I was like, mm. come on, guys, you could do better than this. But then that whole film wasn't the best, was it? So great. Yeah. But, when when Don Cheadle appeared in the first episode of the season, I groaned. I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't want him to be in every episode. And then thankfully, he just never appeared again. Um, a couple of. Uh, questions oh so yeah so apparently um malcolm spellman who is the showrunner he is developing a captain america 4 um to center on um sam wilson although i hope they don't call it captain america 4 because it is just a whole new captain america um but so what's my question first of all were you i was a bit like surprised that the wakandans took zemo and then just put him on the raft like I thought they were taken back to Wakanda to like go trial or something. He just they were, they they fought so much for him to then just put him in prison. Um, yeah. So from a two, so like there's two things for this for me. Um, I agree with you. Um, firstly, it's funny because one of the things that um, I think Ao said or one of them said um, when they said when John Walker said you don't have any jurisdiction here, they said we have jurisdiction everywhere. And it's like, well, no, you don't, because you just took it, you just took him and gave him back to the Americans. So, okay, whatever. Um, and then the second thing was that I thought that them putting him on the raft, I thought that was going to lead to something. I thought maybe people on the, there was going to be like a like a Suicide Squadish kind of people on the on the raft. But they oh, didn't. that would have been yeah. sick. But then they just showed the raft, and it was just they only showed Zemo, and I thought, okay, it was going to zoom out, and we're going to see a couple other guys, but we didn't see anybody. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess that was just a throwaway scene then. But yeah, I agree with you. It was a bit odd to me. Yeah. I was going to say, the raft must be pretty empty because the only villains I can think of that would be on it is uh, Vulture. Yeah. yeah. And he's not even really part of the MCU. I suppose not, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah that was disappointing for me. Um, what was I going to say? Um, also, uh, a question relating to Bucky. So, obviously, um, was it at the end of Infinity War where no when was he sort of dubbed the White Wolf because I would quite like to explore that a bit more I don't know whether you would be happy for him to turn up in some small part in a Wakanda series or I mean what are your what are your guys thoughts on that I'm trying to think what what, what film was it he was it was it was Infinity War it was Infinity was it, War was it Infinity War yeah, 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 yeah they gave him his arm didn't they because he'd come out of rehabilitation and then they had an arm for him, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there's no other film. It, oh, maybe it was Black Panther. I'm literally trying to think. I cannot remember for the life of me. Nah, because he, he, he didn't do anything. Oh, was it the end of Black Panther? Was it a cutscene? Maybe. Yeah, it, it appears at the end of Black Panther, I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah. So maybe okay. it was that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. I like the, um, Sebastian Stan. I like Bucky. So I'm down for him being in a kind of series. Yeah. I think it comes uh, Luke Skywalker as well. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. So would you prefer, if you had the choice between a season two to kind of follow Sharon Carter and, sorry, that was me hiccuping halfway through, Sharon Carter and uh, US Agent and Captain America and Winter Soldier, or would you prefer those storylines to be done in a film? Uh, give it to me in a series, personally. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome to you are hearing this. Um, yeah, I think these are very much Disney Plus storylines. Mm. Um, 
I think I would quite like to see Captain America just as part of a larger ensemble again. Um, yeah. And I do hope that some of these bigger themes migrate into the films. I would be quite disappointed if, you know, you get the grief and the racism explored in Disney Plus, but then when you have Avengers 5, it's like, hey, there's no problem. Mm. You know, everything's mm-hmm. hunky-dory. Do you, do you think they've done it in a series on purpose? So they don't have to tackle the, the bigger issue in a, in a film? That's a good question. Uh, the cynic in me wants to say that it's a safer way for them to explore it because yeah. there's not much money riding on it. Um, and, you know, you will get, unfortunately, the, you know, certain types of people saying, oh, superhero film, why do they care about racism? Yeah. Not real. Um, <laughs> which, you know, I think we've said on, on a couple of occasions on this podcast, you know, what we've enjoyed particularly about One Division and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is they're trying to, in, it sounds silly, but they're trying to make the superhero, this superhero genre a little bit more grounded in reality yeah. by showing that these characters have actual emotions and complex emotions and complex thoughts and opinions on big matters mm. um, and mm. are affected by things that other people are, such as Sam being, you know, wrongly targeted by the police um, and presumed to be a, of the aggressor. Um, yeah. And actually, you know, when WandaVision, there were characters asking, like, hey, how do you do this? Or, you know, or in, in Falcon and Soldier, it's like, don't you guys get paid? Like, you know, yeah. makes it more realistic. So, yeah, I hope that now uh, audiences are exposed to this in a MCU setting that they continue it. Um, Me too. Can I just say one thing quickly before we uh, before we get, move on? Cause just just come to my head. That I don't want to forget. So Sam uh, in the last episode, Sam was fighting uh, the French guy. Um, can't remember his name. Probably Batroc. Batroc. Um, and are I you, think. Are you about to talk about the racism? That no, about? no, it's something completely different. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think I think I'm pretty sure this is it. It might have been a different. It might have been a different scene. But um, Batroc says to him, "Stay down." And I thought um, he was going to say, I could do this all day, like Steve Rogers says in the, in loads of the other films. But oh, he just yeah. says, but he just says, no. And I was like, oh, that is so fucking shit. That was my, <laughs> that was my biggest complaint of that, of this episode. Yeah. Like, they, they set it up and then they just fucking flopped it. So yeah, I didn't like that at all. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> What's the racism thing you're talking about, Chris? Well, I, I didn't, I didn't think it, but I was watching, uh, as you do, through TikTok. And, uh, some obviously it's someone who I don't know what the point was really trying to make, but he was trying to say that all of the things that were said throughout the series to do with racism, and then uh, Sam's first comment to the bad guy was saying about like French guys and baguettes. Obviously, it's not racism, but someone was saying it was racism. It's just yeah, uh, xenophobia. Um, I don't know what that is, but yeah, I I just I just thought that's what I thought that's what you're going to bring up. I thought you'd watch the video no. and you're going to like say about it but uh, nah. yeah I hear that though but it's not the same thing but I hear, it's but I hear it different. it's completely different I, I hear it though I hear it though. yeah it's like saying you know if if, if Batroc had said oh you Americans and your donuts like I don't you know that's that would yeah. be people say French yeah, forget so. you know or people say oh America people allude to the fact that Americans are stupid all the time oh stupid Americans blah, 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 blah. I think it's kind of like and they talk about like, cheeseburgers and all that stuff it's uh 
it's a yeah. common trope in in film and TV. I think probably one that's not well. That's I, not very. I, a lot of people are just these days just trying to find the bad and everything. Like obviously, mm. I'm not. Yeah, obviously, it's not nice to say them things, but like, it's that's that doesn't have the negative doesn't have the negative connotation or history behind it as racism does, does it? So yeah, yeah. But it's the thing because like yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah, because I was gonna say if it was, I don't know if it was something to do with British people or or if they said something like that about British people, I'm wondering would I felt how would I felt, but I don't really know. I don't think I would have cared. I I think it depends. Again, it depends what they say. I I suppose if it was a dig at at art education, would I've cared? If you said yeah, I'm trying to think of the equivalent. If you said oh something about crumpets, I probably wouldn't have given a shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is a food (laughs) shit. It comes from it. Like, don't really matter. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, and it probably says a lot about our privilege, particularly as British people, and for me and Chris, you know, as British white people, that there isn't anything that charged that would really kind of make us think, oh, Christ, you know, um, like if Batrock had, Batrock had said, stay down, and said, like, boy, or something, then you'd be like, shit, you know, he's, you know, that's a charged kind of comment. Mm. Um, thankfully didn't, but you know, like there's there's things that are more charged for kind of certain kind of racism and cultures than yeah. than we uh, experience. So yeah, I I think Chris, I would say you're right with regards to the French and the baguette thing is is not equivalent to what else has been explored, and certainly to me doesn't undermine it. Um, any further? Thoughts on Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Um, we've got a fair while now until Loki. Yeah, it's kind of kind of long. I heard already they want it. They're they're already considering a Loki season three. Apparently that's oh, that's what the guy wants. I'm like fucking hell already. Yeah, surely, surely you have to wait for at least season one to come out <laughs> before you talk about season three. Uh, do you know what? I watched uh, a film the other day called High Rise, which um, Tom Hiddleston is the main actor in the Brit- uh, British production. Not a great film, but also he doesn't really have that much range. He mm. basically is just a very middle class, posh man in mm. pretty much everything. And it works for Loki, but when he's in other things, you're like, did you at least Try a different accent. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we won't do a Tom Hiddleston uh, deep dive. Yeah. <laughs> I think someone like Tom Cruise would be more deserving of that. <laughs> wow, Tom Cruise deep dive would be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Top Gun, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh well, I can't find a nice segue from Tom Cruise to Oscars because I'm not sure he's won one. But I wonder uh, if he's been nominated. I'm gonna Google that. I wonder if he's been nominated. He's definitely been nominated. I just don't think. What, for an Oscar? Yeah. What film would he have been nominated for an Oscar with? Let's see. I'm, I'm googling it. I'm googling he's it right now. Bear stuff. He's been to in be fair, bear stuff. He's oh, been nominated. Actually, report maybe. He's been nominated three times for uh, Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah, Born on the Fourth of July, Jerry Maguire, and Magnolia. Hmm. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Of... I was gonna say I'm pretty sure all of those were released before like 2000. So since yeah, then it's just like action hero shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
to be, uh, Jerry Maguire's a good film. I think you, you guys, you guys probably like yeah, it. Yeah, that's the one where he says like, "Show me the money" or something. Yeah, Is exactly. that one? Show yeah. me the money. Yeah, yeah, that's a good film. Yeah, I also watched a film he was in the other day. It's on Disney Plus, um, called Color of Money with Paul Newman. It's uh, basically a snooker drama, but um, he's really good in that as well. He's proper young as well. Wait, like you're, telling me, you're telling me the color of money isn't just a gambling uh, fruit machine? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's the sequel to the 1961 film The Hustler, although I didn't find out until afterwards. Uh, annoyingly, that's not on Disney+, Plus, although it is owned by Fox. Um, but yes, I mean, I don't think Tom has ever... Tom, as if I'm his mate, Mr. <laughs> Cruz... Um, has ever won uh, an Oscar, and neither has Glenn Close, my namesake. Um, although she's been nominated a million times. So the Oscars happened Sunday night in the US, early Monday morning in the UK. Um, so I will basically run through the main the main awards and. Uh, we could just discuss. Uh, we haven't seen all of the films, but we can discuss whether we think they're worthy, whether we think there are any omissions, or you know, between us we can cobble them together. Yeah, any snubs. Um, so I mean, let's start with best supporting actor. So the nominees were Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago Seven, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Paul Rassi, uh, I think I said it differently last week, for Sound of Metal, Lakeith Stanfield also for Judas and the Black Messiah, and the Oscar went to Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, playing um, Fred Hampton Jr. Uh, no, Fred Hampton. Yeah, not Jr., that's his son. Um, and we've discussed the whole should he have been supporting actor, should Lakeith have been up for best actor but they chose this way and I think I mean what, what do you guys think was 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 Daniel the deserved winner over, out of those those five names uh, for me he was um, it was well for me it was between him and Lakeith Stanfield um, I did like um, I thought Sasha Baron Cohen was really good in uh, Trials Chicago 7 but yeah for me it was between those two, and I'm really happy that Daniel Kaluuya won it. It's the first Black Brit to win an Oscar, apparently. So really, yeah. So I was away. Who did, who was it between the two for you? Um, Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya. Ah, oh, yeah, fair, fair, fair. Yeah, um, I think he's deserved it. I mean, just for that lean alone, um, <laughs> I think he's 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 become such an accomplished actor. Um, to the point where, like, pretty much, I would pretty much watch anything that he's in. Yeah. Um, you know, going from Posh Kenneth on Skins back in like 2006, to Oscar winner at the age of right. 32. Those yeah. Skins kids have done well for themselves. That's the first generation, like, I think, Knee was sent. Oh no, was it you sent or Knee? Anyway, Knee. Um, from that first generation of Skins, a lot of them, quite a lot of them, done really well, and even some from the second generation as well. To be fair, you've got Nicholas Holt, who's in the X Men franchise and lots yeah. of other things. Obviously, Daniel Kaluuya, and he was not a very main part of the Skins. No. Jeff, Dev Patel, who was obviously was in Lion and um, in that last Airbender film. Um, Kaya Scodelario, who was Effie, yeah. um, she's been in like, was it The Maze Runner? Yeah. Um, Jack O'Connell, I think is his name. 
Yeah, he was in three and four, season three and four. He's been in a few things. Um, yeah, pretty. That's good, though. Okay. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, Daniel Kaluuya's filmography is, is like Queen and Slim, Widows, Black Panther, Get Out. Yeah. No, no two roles are the same, which I really, which I really, really enjoy. Cause like, that's how you get yourself to be like typecast and you end up just doing the same shit over and over and over again. Some would say Tom Cruise is one of those people, but you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really like that he's not afraid to take on different roles and new roles. And yeah, like you say, I just, anything he's in, I watch it just cause I like him a lot. He's just so versatile. He can do comedy. He can do, you know, serious, um, I just think, yeah, you know... He can do good guy, he can do bad guy. Yeah, I mean, whatever he does in the future is just, you know... Yeah, he's so young, and I think... He yeah. has such a good diversity, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And his his speech was pretty powerful as well. I, I, I still haven't watched it yet. I, oh, yeah, it was the other day. Oh, I saw it yesterday, sure, so... Yeah, and then he makes a joke about his parents fucking, and... Yeah, I saw, I saw that bit. <laughs> it was really funny. But yeah, the message about like you know, um, about the cult. It says about the culture and, and doing it for the kind of the black people is, is yeah, obviously a strong message. Mm. And the more that's normalising conversation, the better. So so mm. great great achievement for him. Even uh, just quickly to go off the back of that. Even I see when uh, I saw that he won on Monday, I was just kind of like scrolling from my Twitter and like seeing the amount of people. Um, just like British people in general who were just really happy for him and there are a lot of people who are saying oh yeah he's inspired me to like to work harder kind of thing I just think that's so like important for to have people of the younger generation like have people you have people to look up to you have people to aspire to and things that you want to achieve that you see other people who come from a similar background to you doing I think it's really important yeah definitely and I think there'll be other examples of that throughout the winners of the uh, of the Oscars particularly mm. I guess uh, best Supporting Actress. So that was between Maria Bakalova for Borat 2, uh, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, although she was also nominated for a Razzie for that, um, <laughs> Olivia Coleman for The Father, uh, which we can talk about in more detail in a bit, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Yoo Jung Yoon for Minari, who actually won, um, a Korean actress who again, had quite a funny speech. I think it was presented by Brad Pitt and she was like, oh, really nice to meet you and, and said something about like, she, you know, she said to her kids, like, this is what happens when mummy works hard or something. Yeah. So, very endearing. But yeah. um, I've not seen Minari, so I can't comment on her performance. Have either of you seen it? Uh, I have. Um, she was good. She was good. But I feel like Olivia Coleman's been hard done by here, personally. Really? If I'm, being, if, I'm being, if I'm being 100% honest, I feel like Olivia Coleman's been hard done by. Don't get me wrong, um, Yoon, sorry, Yoon Yo-jong, I believe, um, she is really good and her character is kind of like, um, the ca- in Minari, her character is kind of like the catalyst for everything that happens in the film. So she's a really important character. Um, but, I don't know, Olivia, Olivia Coleman's performance just, just got me, man. Like properly, properly got me, and I was like, "This is fucking sad." So yeah, I don't know. Different. It, it gave they both the, the performances gave me two different, completely different emotions. So I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to compare, but it might be that because I enjoyed we can talk about it later, but because I enjoyed the father more than I did Minari. Um, not that they're not both really good, 
But maybe that's why I'm leaning more towards Olivia Coleman. But, you know, well-deserved in her own right. Okay, well, I think there's no better time to talk about The Father. Um, So I'm pretty sure we have all watched it. So it's a uh, film adapted from a play uh, by Florian Zeller, uh, French director, um, starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. Um, Anthony Hopkins is the eponymous father who is suffering from, uh, we presume, dementia or Alzheimer's or some form of that. And the film basically chronicles, um, you know, interactions um, where he he kind of misrecognize doesn't recognize the daughter who is played by Olivia Coleman and her partner. Um, and you know, there's sort of like the film plays with time a bit. You, you mm. sometimes later on see a scene from a different perspective, and he's in different clothes, and it happens slightly differently. So it's sort of trying to but the audience maybe give give them that experience of confusion that mm. someone suffering from these conditions might do. Um, and I mean, you know, I, I think quite a lot of people unfortunately know someone or know what it's like to know someone with Alzheimer's or dementia. It's, it's a horrible thing. And um, I mean, personally, you know, this film actually did bring me to tears. Um, I thought, uh, Anthony Hopkins. That is, hold on, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait. <laughs> that, that is rare. Hold, I know. Hold. That is fucking rare. Yeah, I know. Not to it's... be insensitive, but fuck me, that is the first time I've ever heard you. You've <laughs> brought to tears over anything. Yeah, it, wow. it, it, it hit me in the fields, man. Like that, wow. that scene when, um, Anthony Hopkins was being slapped by Paul. Um, and he just then started crying and I was like welling up and then particularly the last scene when he's being comforted by the um, the nurse yeah. and, and she's like oh we'll just go for a park it's a lovely day isn't it you know like his performance um, in that was so affecting yeah. that I mean we'll, we'll go into it a bit later but you know when I saw that film I was like I get why you won the Oscar over Chadwick Boseman um, to an extent and it was really, really powerful. So, um, I mean, what what did you two think of it? You said Olivia Coleman's performance you found particularly powerful. Yeah, I thought she was she was great. Um, the film in general, I think films about this. I remember actually um, just to give a little anecdote. Uh, when we were in sixth form, I went to go see a play by people in our sixth form, and it was about um, some of Alzheimer's, and like it really, really like hit me like proper hard. I like, remember when that. Do you I remember? remember that? Yeah. Yeah, that was powerful. So, like, whenever I watch films that are about, um, about like, uh, this sort of, like, uh, Alzheimer's dementia, that sort of thing, they proper always, like, it hits me in a sucks, completely different way. Uh, I'm lucky enough not to have been affected by anyone with that, um, with that illness in my life before. But I think one of my biggest fears in life is having to deal with that, um, with my parents or someone like that. Um, in the future and also getting it myself um, mm. and then when I see the, when I watch this film and I'm like it, it, it gives you probably like a small 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 window of what it's like to to live with dementia and it just like it's I don't want to say it's unbearable but it's just like it's so like I don't know it proper like got me to think like, oh my god this is, what people, this is what they have to go through like every hour of every day of their life for however many years 
Um, and it just made me feel a proper type of way. Um, and compounded by the fact that um, Anthony Hopkins is like fantastic in this film. And you kind of see him him become, start to film as someone who's so like sure of himself and sure of his own mind. And we're only seeing it kind of, I suppose, from Olivia Coleman's point of view, like that opening scene. And she's kind of like worried about her dad. And we think, oh, maybe she's like overreacting, blah, 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 blah. But then from then onwards, you kind of just see everything that goes through his head. And from like the second scene, I was like, fuck me, I'm confused. Like, I did not know what was going on. And like, to kind of like invisualize that in someone else's head, but it's at least for us, we know that we're watching a film, but for someone that's actually happening in your head, you genuinely can't tell what has happened and what hasn't and when it happened and what someone has said and what they haven't said is must be terrifying. Um, and I think they really conveyed that feeling to me, at least, um, through watching the film. And I think even Olivia Coleman as well really did a really good job of portraying um, a worried, a worried daughter, someone who's worried about about their about their dad and and his health, and but at the same time wanting to not wanting that to halt their life and wanting to be able to carry on and live how they want to live and not let their whole life be encompassed by um, their dad's illness. And there must be some sort of like, and I imagine she. Um, people who have dealt with this to feel this, so there must be some sort of guilt there where you think like oh I really want to like enjoy my life but I can't because like because my dad's like this and there must be so many conflicting feelings um coming from from her character and yeah man I think I thought she just did really well portraying those emotions and yeah man the film got me man yeah I, I didn't tear up but it got me I'm not gonna lie I was very like it moved me quite a lot I really really enjoyed this film really mm. enjoyed it uh, my turn? Yep. Uh, yeah, it definitely resonated with me a lot. Uh, on nearly, I'd say, every aspect, obviously, having deal, dealt with it, well, it's not first-hand, is it, but being in, uh, Olivia Coleman's shoes, um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't shed a tear. It was more because of my confusion at most part of it, mm. uh, but obviously, I, I, I'm in agreement with you. I feel like the confusion was there for us to perceive what it's like with, for, for someone with this disease. And, um, like, it hit home on so many points. Like, obviously, like, them forgetting what's been said or uh, remembering what's been said, but, like, from years ago or uh, suddenly just crying. Like, I, we never experienced it where it was like them we never experienced it where my name felt like she was slapping getting slapped but just mm. like the sudden like emotional emotions just going through her and then her crying about something that hadn't even happened like, it was very powerful uh seeing that on screen actually um and uh also the points of which where he got up in the night where he thought he was hearing things like again that happens nearly every night for us when we had my name so that was um it was really interesting to see the direction they went and how how they hit so many nails on the head with it. Um, and, like, at the end, I, I mean, uh, I, I can't speak for how good homes are, but that was very emotional, the very ending there, where that lady was com- comforting her and, and stuff. Uh, him, sorry, comforting him. I thought that was really powerful. Um and like, and also the frustration. Like, obviously, I don't know what part was real, what part was not. But the partner getting very frustrated about it, and 
it's a real real life emotion that I feel like does happen like there's not there's nothing you can really do to help you can sit there 24/7 and you can repeat yourself 24/7 but like the frustration is that yeah like you said you got to live your life essentially and um what was it the uh, part where um I've forgotten the part now just just quickly, um, yeah. just to inter- interrupt you, Chris, while you're thinking, um, the bit where um, uh, I think Paul or James or whatever the husband's name was, where he said, um, when you're going to stop getting on everybody's tits or whatever he said, do you guys think that was real or do you think that was in his mind? I think that was in his mind. I think he heard what I think he heard what he said to his wife. OK. And then he's like bringing it back up. But it could be like. A moment of frustration from them, but that seemed that didn't seem like a moment of frustration. That seemed like a moment of spitefulness. Mm. So mm-hmm. even so, quickly, just the bits where sorry, so I'm trying to I'm just running over this film in my mind because, like you say, it was quite confusing at times. So all the bits with um, the husband, do you think that was him remembering stuff from a few years ago? Because I think um, Olivia Common said she was, she'd been separated for however many years. So you, do you think that was her ex-husband or do you think that was her current partner that she'd been in Paris with? I took it as the ex. Okay. Because by the end of the film, when he's in the home, she has been in Paris for quite some time. Right. And we see a couple of scenes where she tells him that she's going to Paris. Um, so I think it was more just like a confluence of like lots of different memories and maybe okay. converging. Um, I mean, yeah, um, obviously, thanks for kind of relating it to your own personal experiences, Chris. But, you know, like, there is a an immense sense of, of guilt. You know, there's a point when um, Anthony is actually the character name um, and they actually give his real date of birth. Yeah. As well in that. Um, I wonder why I did that. I think... So I, what's that, sorry? sorry? How old was he then if they gave his date of birth? 83. 83. It's quite. It's I mean, quite, quite young in these in this day and age. Mm. That's. I mean, people the eighty three got dementia. They could live for like another ten, fifteen years. Mm. That's a, that must be a horrible experience for someone. Okay. Uh, wow. I mean, I know of people who have had it like in their sixties. Mm. My nan was seventy. Um, although she didn't live very long with it, thanks. I guess I don't know if you say thankfully or not, but you know, uh, it's one of those odd things. Um, yeah. But yeah. I mean, when he he actually says, "Oh, well, you're abandoning me," and and mm. it's like a guilt trip. But you know, for someone in Olivia Coleman's position, like you know, probably in her, I don't want to kind of be harsh on her early fifties, late forties. I don't know how old she is, but yeah. um, you know, like you said, you got such a uh, she wants to like move on with her life, but Anthony is to an extent holding her back and and it's affecting her life as well you know so if he can go in a home then then you know it's it's probably for the best and and it, it does it does hit all of those points that if, if you know someone who's had alzheimer's or dementia you know that not remembering tragedies like i in my job have dealt with elderly people who have you know we've had to tell them that their son or daughter is that they've got 
memory issues and you have to tell them on more than one occasion and then they mm. have that heartbreak over and over again mm. um so it's i mean and also the fact that anthony hopkins at 83 years old was showing that range from when he was tap dancing and yeah. you know, the, yeah. the charm yeah. he could switch on to then straight away being like i don't know you or, or i know what you're doing and, and you're like wow you know i mean i had sort of dismissed Anthony Hopkins as like he's cashing it in you know he's in that Transformers film he's been in <laughs> the Marvel films I was like do you know what do you you're 80 years old earn your dollar mm. and phone it in but then after this I was like wow he's, he's still got it so. yeah for sure he was great it, yeah you saying that actually is like it does happen like you could be going from like like, I remember my nan, she, like, you have a little dance with her and you'll be all, like, happy days and then all of a sudden, like, bang, forgotten and it's, like, mm. right back on the negativity and it's just, like, honestly, like, this person who wrote this must have really experienced it because not the whole, well, maybe they did have dementia, but, like, the feelings that are put across to the people who are, who are trying to help, yeah. it, it really, like, on most part hit the nail on the head for me. But, like, yeah, I mean, everyone has their own different experiences with it. But, like, um, what was the thing? I thought the the conversation between the husband and wife was really, or ex-husband, however we see it, was really, like, eye-opening. Because, obviously, like, he made a comment to her, like, this is really admirable of you to do this. But, like, this is this is not a life, essentially. And it is, for some people, that is the case. They feel, because of the life they've been given, they have to look after their parents which is is true like i i would look after my parents but it must be so it must be so difficult it must be yeah, so difficult. Sure. just a quick note as well like because like, chris you were talking about the person who wrote it so i just did a little wikipedia and oh, yeah. it's based on a play um called la pere which i think is the father the father same thing french um but the guy who wrote the play is the same guy who directed the film so that's pretty that's pretty cool i think but a lot of time you see films and they become plays and it's different people who kind of like take over the vision. So it's nice to see that they've been like consistent with that. Yeah. yeah. You, you, kind of, you can kind of see the play aspect of it. Mm. Like, yeah, even like... Oh, sorry, sorry. sorry go on. No, go on, go on, go on, go on, sorry. Um, even like um, the fact that they were... Um, every every room um, in the house or the flat looked so similar, whether it was his flat or the daughter's flat or the... Uh, the uh, what's it called? The nursing home. Or oh, yeah. the um, what was the other place? The doctor's the the doctor's place, as well. Like it all looked so similar, and that even contributed to his confusion about everything looking the same, and him still thinking that he lived in his flat. Um, and he was even the bit where um, where they were going to the doctor's office, and uh, uh, Anne, I think her name's Anne. She mm-hmm. presses the she presses the bell, and he's like, "Have you forgotten your key?" And she's like, "No." Like obviously because it's he thinks it's the flat, but it's just but it's um. It's a doctor's office. That's why she didn't use a key. So yeah, even stuff like that, I think, like visually, that even helped to like add to why this character um, thought thought certain things or was having having saying certain things. So yeah, yeah, familiar. Yeah, they made it proper familiar for all of us, didn't they? I I really do like that. I, I don't well, I don't like the idea, but I think it was a real good concept to make us really confused and feel like the the most because it gives you. Kind of like to begin with, you're almost like, what's going on? And until at the end of it, you're kind of like, wow, like you can link, you can have a linkal cause between them both, like how mm. you're 
how they have probably seen them at times. So fair play to them. I think they've done really well. And I think Andy Hopkins did really well with it as well. I think I skipped the ball wasn't so sure. And then as we got to the end, I was like, yeah, he smashed this. He's absolutely smashed this. So I think he deserved to win it. That was going to be my question. I think it was a very good performance. And I think had Chadwick been alive, would it have been a different outcome? I'm curious to know if had Chadwick been alive, would he have been nominated? Not not because his performance so, was bad, but because uh, I thought his performance was great. But I wonder if, and people have been making have been talking about this quite a lot on Twitter and stuff. Him dying has been such a big, like such a monumental thing, such an unexpected thing that they kind of made the Oscar ceremony like about him and like in his memory kind of thing. So people yeah. were really surprised when he didn't win. Um, some people yeah. were upset because he didn't win. Yeah. Um, so. so Sorry. So, yeah, so Anthony Hopkins was up against Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Gary Oldman for Manx, Stephen Yun for Minari, and Chad, the late Chadwick Boseman for Mahoney's Black Bottom. I think it was always between those two, um, yeah. from what I've read. And I think if Chadwick was still alive and Anthony Hopkins had won, there wouldn't be so much controversy about it. Um, yeah. I think it's, it is probably because it's like, you know, Chadwick, this was his last chance to win an Oscar mm. um, and obviously the performance that he gave in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom whilst we later found out he was suffering from cancer makes it even more powerful. And then on the flip side Anthony Hopkins being 83 and giving this performance it's, it's like you, you it's such a tough call and I think mm. if either one of them had won it then they were both deserving um, mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah do either of you have particularly strong feelings either way? Like Chadwick was robbed or? No, I don't, to be fair. Um, I was, obviously, before I watched The Father, I was kind of like, yeah, Chadwick Boseman's a sh- like a shoeing kind of thing. But then I watched The Father and I was like, okay, yeah, it's definitely at most between these two to the point where, like you said, if either of them wins, I'm happy because they're both excellent. Mm. So having watched Minari then, OB. Um, obviously, Stephen Yun was nominated for Best Actor, and it was mm. also up for Best Picture. Um, give us a quick synopsis of it, and and you know, is, does it deserve its Oscar merits? Um, so, quick synopsis is basically it's a film about um, a Korean family trying to pursue their version of the American dream. So, if you go back to like, for example, what's it called? Um, of Mice and Men, like live off the fat of the land, that sort of thing. So that's yeah. basically what the film's about. Um, set in the, I think it's in the, pretty sure it's in the eighties. Um, Ronald Reagan era, Ronald Reagan era. So, um, but yeah, it's just about a, a, a man who takes his family away from California to Arkansas to, and he's bought, bought a plot of land and he basically wants to start a farm, um, and you know, be successful, have his own business, live off that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and he comes into conflict with his wife because of, um, like the location they're at, money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then they bring their grandma um, along and obviously that contributes towards a bit more tension between the family and, you know, things ensue and things take place. And I don't want to give anything away because it's a good film and I would like for you to both watch it when you get the time. Um, does it deserve an Oscar nomination? Uh, yes. Um, but I would caveat that with the fact that actually, no, I'm not caveating that. I'm not caveating it. It does. It, it does deserve it. Because for me, um, it's quite unique in the fact that I don't really ever 
I think I feel like I see a lot of films that are like about the American dream and based on people trying to make it in America, but I've never seen it from or heard it from a Korean perspective. Um, so I appreciate that. I think it's quite unique in that, and I think it's it's well, it's the first that I've seen or heard of a film that's about that kind of like that genre with these types of characters. Um, so I think I appreciate that fact about it, and I think it does have really strong performances from uh, Stephen Yun. Stephen Yun. Um, Stephen Yoon, uh, apologies because I do not know the name of his wife, the the actress who plays his wife. Sorry, I'm just going to look it up because I don't want to be rude. Um, her name is. He voices uh, Invincible, by the way. He does voice Invincible, yeah. Um, which is cool. Um, sorry, so Han Yeri, um, as the wife, she was, he, she plays um, Stephen Yoon's wife. Um, she was great. And there's a little kid called David as well. Um, and he's kind of like, so in this film, a lot of the, uh, a lot of it is um, in Korean, and pretty much all the adults speak Korean. But then um, this little kid David and his sister uh, Anne, they kind of like mixed Korean in with um, like English and American accent, and it makes for some good like comedic moments, and it's really it's really fun. So he, the little kid he did really well as well. And then obviously you get the grandma um, who won her supporting actress. She was good as well. And the film in general, I think. <sighs> I I like I really liked it, but it's another one of those films that has a has it an ambiguous ending, um, in the fact that I don't know if it's a happy ending or not. And like, if you guys know me, like obviously you do. I like happy endings and I like closure, and I didn't get that from this film. So that was the only thing that I have. <laughs> that's that's the only thing that I'll say um, before you guys watch it is that um, I didn't get my cl- the closure that I wanted or needed from this <laughs> film. Um, but yeah, it is a it's an enjoyable film to watch for sure. Perfect. Uh, so the other main categories that we have yet to uh, cover best actress so Viola Davis was up for best actress uh, for portraying Ma Rainey in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom uh, Andra Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday I don't know if either of you have seen that I haven't um. Vanessa, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman uh, Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman and Frances McDormand, who is becoming the new Meryl Streep. Uh, Mate, she's an OG in this, I'm not going to lie. The Nomadland, and she obviously, she, she won. Yeah. So she she's good, is she in this? She is. She She's very, um, I don't know how to put it, but she's very uh, understated. Not understated, I don't know if that's the word. Her points are very subtle, I suppose, but they're, but they're strong at the same time. Like, I can always, I feel like I can always tell what emotion she's trying to convey. Um, and how the character is feeling, or what the character is thinking in this film, especially what character is thinking at the moment where we're looking at her on screen. But she doesn't, her, she doesn't. There's not a lot of emotion from her in this film. Um, so I suppose that's probably credit to her that she didn't have to like, you know, scream and shout to kind of get my attention. Um, but yeah, she is she's good in this. The film itself, I suppose it's no. Let's talk about it when we get to best picture. But yeah, she is good in this, um, and I think she's. I would have given it to her or I think Viola Davis is decent in Marini's back bottom. No, she's good in it, but she probably should have been supporting actress, to be honest. Mm. Um, and Carrie Mulligan, if it's up to me, I think Carrie Mulligan would have won. Um, okay. okay, so you think she was actually better than Francis McDormand? Yeah, personally, but then I, maybe because I think, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to word it in a way that doesn't sound stupid. Um, so I like, when people show, tell us what they're feeling. 
um, and show their emotion. Like, well, I'm a, I'm away a heart on the sleeve. I like to see people wear their hearts on the sleeve. I feel like Kerry Mulligan probably did that a bit more in Promising a Woman than Francis McDormand did in this, and it probably is also due to the fact that I liked Promising a Woman more than I liked Nomadland as well. So oh, that might okay. be that might be swaying my swaying my views a little bit too. Chris, have you seen Nomadland? Do you want to comment on Francis McDormand's performance? I don't believe I've seen it. Okay, that's fine. Um, I mean, I've only ever seen a small clip from this. Um, but so there's a part where I think she's talking to a young girl and, and she says, Oh, you think I'm homeless, but I'm houseless. And the, the way oh. that she inflects that, I thought was like really good, you know, because mm. like, some actors are just so monotonous. Like Vin Diesel, like he would have said, <laughs> "I'm not homeless, I'm houseless." Yeah. Whereas she's like, "I'm houseless," and that yeah. little reflection is like a testament to her acting ability. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to watching this. Um, it's also one best director for Chloe yeah. Zhao, um, who was up against Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, which. Uh, one best screenplay, by the way. Uh, David Fincher for Mank and Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round, which I'm pretty sure won the best foreign film. It's a Danish film. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, they're already going to remake, so... <laughs> Just watch films with oh, yeah, with people. With, um, Leo DiCaprio, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's jokes. <laughs> funny. To quote, to quote the director of Parasite, just get over that one-inch barrier of subtitles and you'll open up a world of other films. Um, but yeah, uh, so Chloe Zhao won for that. Nomadland also won Best Picture. Um, so I guess let's tackle that, uh, as one. Um, Chloe Zhao, the second ever woman to win Best Director and the first non-white woman, uh, so first Asian. What a crazy stat. Yeah. So this is the 93rd. Oscars ceremony. Yeah, She's the second ever woman, the first woman who isn't white. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya to be the first ever black Brit. You know, you just think 90, 93. Um, right, second ever woman? Yeah. The first was Catherine Bigelow 13 years ago for The Hurt Locker. Why did I think Halle Berry had won one? No, uh, director. Oh, director, sorry. Although, Halle Berry is, I think I'm right in saying, the only black woman to ever win a... Uh, best actress, wasn't it? Yeah. I think Viola's won Best Supporting, right? Yeah. But I doubt, I'm going to say. But yeah, I mean, the fact that Halle Berry won for Catwoman... Oh, no. It wasn't <laughs> Shut up. So, Obi, talk us through... Nomadland, does it deserve Best Picture? Does Chloe Zhao deserve Best Director? And what should we expect for The Eternals? <laughs> uh, okay, so Nomadland is a film about... Um, well, it's kind of a film about two different things. So it's about the main character, Francis McDormand's character, who um, I suppose is kind of dealing with different circumstances in her life. So, um, so like death, um, homelessness unemployment as well um and then it's also about um these a group of people that um they call nomads who are basically people who go around traveling in their cars they don't live in houses um and they go around yeah so like how they connect with 
other people in this community and how they deal with um, with life and stuff and how they got into those situations in the first place. Um, it's a good film for me. Um, it doesn't lean. I think this is what was we were talking about the other day. Kind of like not not in the same range at all, but kind of like Concrete Cowboy, <laughs> where it doesn't lean enough in in one direction for me. Um, and it's about those two fit two aspects. But I really would like to know more about than they showed us about like the nomads. And they, there's kind of like a few really um, interesting scenes where people talk about what brought them to to that uh, to live that life, basically. And I think one woman in particular was basically saying that um, she had a co-worker she worked with. He worked for the same company for four years. And then uh, he sent up all pension, retirement, da 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 um, and then like one week before his retirement, no, yeah, one week before his retirement, he gets um, like liver cancer or something, some sort of cancer. Then a few months later, he dies. And basically, he said that like he bought a boat that he was going to take out once he got retired, and he never got to take out his boat. And the woman basically said like, I don't want to be, I don't want, I want to take my boat out. Basically, is what she said. So like, she wants to kind of like live her life before, because before you know it, you know, snap your fingers, it's all gone. So mm. I really enjoyed that mentality of it, and that one being one of the aspects that people because i think a lot of people the assumption in this film from the from the beginning and a lot of people i imagine in real life would assume that if you're living in your car it's not by choice mm. that is because of like money problems or um one of the people in it is a a, a vietnam war veteran so he can't really live in crowded places with loud noises so he just chooses to live by himself i think a lot of people would think that they're forced into this lifestyle when that's not always the case people are kind of doing it for maybe for their mental health or to explore different aspects of life outside of, you know, the little town that they might have lived in. So that aspect of it, I think is really cool. Um, and I don't think they, I feel like if they made the film more about that, I would have enjoyed it a bit more than I did. Not, don't get me wrong, the film is good, but I did get a little bit, I lost interest just a little bit in the middle. I think probably about maybe about an hour in or an hour and 15 minutes in, I kind of just like started looking at my phone and stuff. Um, Francis McDormand's character is interesting because they kind of make a point in the beginning of the film that it's they do like the the subtitle thing where they basically say they give you like a uh, a precursor to what's happened before this film starts. They're basically saying that um, uh, basically everyone in this one town is out of work and everybody had to relocate because there was no jobs or anything like that. And then she is like job hopping, basically trying to find work. And again, they don't make the film that much about that either. Um, and then uh, a lot of other things have happened to Frances, Frances McDormand's character that led her to this moment. And they don't, for me, delve deep enough into that until like the very, very end. Um, so I kind of had an issue with that. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think the story is good. And again, it's something that I, I knew nothing about. Like, I didn't even know what Nomad was. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, Frances McDormand in it is great like I said earlier like very very understated but very effective at the same time um, there were some really like beautiful shots as well um, in terms of just like sit, just looking at the sky and even looking at like the surrounding areas and some of the places that they traveled that she travels to in this van um, and the score is really 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 good um, and I'm surprised that I don't think it was nominated for like best original or whatever or best original score Best original score, The Five Bloods, Mank Minari, News of the World. Yeah. 
I uh, the, the 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 score really uh, really I thought it was really really good. So, um, so yeah, I'm really surprised that it wasn't nominated for that. But overall, I think it is an enjoyable film. Um, would I have it as the best picture out of these seven nominated? Um, not for me personally. For me, it probably comes around four. What would you say should have won? Um, or what's above it? What's above it for me? Uh, Promising Young Woman, um, The Father, and Judas and the Black Messiah. And to, to which ones I think should have won, I'm leaning towards either The Father or Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, yeah, personally. But it is a good film, I think. Yeah. I mean, so I know obviously directors, their whole job is to just run with what they're given. But from what I can tell, Chloe Zhao's filmography thus far has been quite similar in the sense that she employs a lot of like non-professional actors and like quite a sort of oh yeah there was actual sorry just to interrupt you there just you said that it reminded me there's actual like nomads in this film as well which is pretty cool Mm. so i think most of them are real nomads Mm. and her previous film the rider which i've not seen but from what i've read is is a lot you know there's a lot of real life cowboys and and people in that community and she has a very like naturalistic style of directing so to go from Mm. that to the eternals (laughs) which is featuring angelina jolie and a wamp camille nanjani and richard madden and uh kit harrington and and you know i think nomadland budget was five million and the budget for the eternals is over 200 so (laughs) you just think wow how do you scale that up and you know do you cast real eternals i don't know like what what what, (laughs) does it give you high hopes do you know what i think it does because uh i think i reckon it's probably easier to go from this to this sort of like uh genre like very grounded and then building up to something like eternals especially in terms of when you think of like in terms of story i think a lot of times we watch superhero films and we're like oh yeah the action was really good but that's like we were just talking about what film we're talking about more combat even like the action not comparing the two but the action was good but the story was lacking like i feel like if you get a director who can nail the story then the cgi stuff is the easiest bit because you only just got to pay a bit of money for that (laughs) do you know what i mean so i feel like i try i would trust her more than for example I'm trying to think of a good example. I don't know, fucking Michael Bay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's good at making, he's good at making, or in that commas, good at making like blockbuster action type films. But like the the flipping, what was the, the film he put out on Netflix? What was it called? Uh, with Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Six Underground. Yeah, that film. Like, I was like, mm-hmm. like the action was alright, but the film itself not not great. So I think if you're gonna go from one end of the scale to the other, I'd rather it be. Uh, the scale that Chloe Zhao's coming from to MCU. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I hope Marvel are now going to capitalise on this hype from Nomadland and be like, let's get a trailer out. Because it's supposed to come out in November. Yeah. And I feel like I've seen more stuff about Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, I think... After this. Yeah, all I've heard is that I'm pretty sure they've, they've finished filming now. And... That's literally all I've heard. I've never seen any set photos. I haven't seen or heard anything. I think they filmed a bit in London. That's all I know, literally. So, Marvel, pull your finger out. Um, any glaring omissions, glaring snubs from the Oscars? 
I can't think of any off the top of my head, but like we've said so many times, this year wasn't exactly jam-packed with films. Mm. So I, I don't have any complaints. You're not fuming that Colette won Best Documentary Short over Hunger Ward? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> absolutely fuming. Um, what won Best Animated? Soul. Oh, okay. Who Pixar's going to win it? Yeah, it might be just be called Best Pixar Film. <laughs> Where <laughs> fucking Sean the Sheep has been not... <laughs> Sean, Sean the Sheep, Sheep won oh, an Oscar. That would be so funny. Uh, to be fair, this this doesn't look like... This is not the strongest year for animated films. In I was going to say, did, did, did Willis and Gromit and the Were Rabbit ever win anything? I don't know. That's, quite, that's a good question. Because uh, <laughs> that was pretty big when... Like... I'm that cheeky Google right now. Um, if it came out against a Pixar film, it, it would have definitely not. So, so it was actually that's oh, not it did it did actually win best animated film at the seventy so eighth Academy Awards. There we go. Oh, I was I was too too uh, sarcastic with that. But um, uh, the um, best short film went to Two Distant Strangers. Uh, oh, I still haven't watched that. Very badass. Um, he's the actor in that. Right, so it's it's again a powerful one. Um, mm. I would recommend you watch it. Only thirty-one minutes or something. Um, any? Quickly, um, sorry, yeah? quickly, just to talk about the the snub thing. I just did a little Google and uh, wondering what other people might think of snubs. So um, a lot of people think that maybe this is, this is bleh, sorry the trial of the Chicago Seven didn't win anything. I don't think. So, do you guys have any strong feelings about that? Because obviously we watched it a while ago. I mean... It was good, but I don't know if it was Oscar-worthy. Mm. Yeah, maybe maybe for, like, best screenplay, but I'm one of these people that would be able to tell you particularly why one screenplay was, like, hugely better than another. Mm. Um, Promising Young Woman won. I'm not mad at that. Um, no, I think just because Aaron Sorkin pretty much gets nominated for anything he writes, um, <laughs> they were like, oh. And because it got nominated for quite a lot of things, I think, yeah. when, and so did Mank. When films get nominated for a lot and don't win any of the major awards, people are like, oh, it was snubbed. But it's like, well, did it deserve all those awards anyway? Mm. Uh, you know, up for debate. But, yeah. Um, fair, fair. I think this... Oscars, although there's the whole asterisk of the pandemic, there's a lot to celebrate from it. The fact that, you know, we had a film about, you know, the South Korean American dream, Minari, yep. up for Best Picture and some of the big awards, you know, Emerald Fennel, um, up for Best Director, Chloe Zhao winning it. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I think, representation in this and I uh, maybe I'm just naive, but I don't. I don't feel like it was like tokenism in this mm. year. Um, mm. So I think that's a huge step forward in the right direction. Hopefully, it continues with the 94th next year. Um, so yeah, we should just, we should celebrate it for that. Um, I was just going to say, according to Wikipedia, um, this was like the least viewed Oscars to date. Um, do you reckon that's maybe like a trend or do you think it's just like a like some sort of coincidence or something like that I don't think it would have helped the fact that I think a lot of it was like 
you know, obviously affected by the pandemic. I don't think everyone was in the same room. Mm. Um, I also, I mean, watching the Oscars has never appealed to me. me as, much as, I loved, as much as I loved film and studied it for ages, like, it's a four-hour ceremony of people being like, oh, hey, well done. I'd rather just them say, yep, yeah, you won, you won, you won. You know, yeah. so I don't, I don't think it's got a massive appeal to a generation who, according to Florentino Perez, can't even sit through a 90-minute football match anymore. <laughs> so, you know, if they'd maybe done a TikTok of, like, you know, uh, the latest Disney Channel star going, you win, then maybe, yeah, maybe the youth would have, would be more interested in it. I don't know. Fair. Yeah. Fair. But again, it makes me sound really fucking old, even though <laughs> not. Um, do you guys want to discuss anything else? Um, uh, just thinking we're on the season finale on Friday of Invincible. I think episode seven was pretty good. The rest of it's been a bit meh. Um, I agree. I'm in- interested to see a bit more about the whole Vulture mites or whatever they're called. Well, um, it's funny because... Sorry, just to interrupt you really quickly. Um because I think Chris was saying, maybe last episode, episode before, that um, we could kind of see where it was going, um, like in terms of, uh, what's it called, uh, Omni-Man kind of being sent to, um, what's it called, sent to take Omni-Man. over Earth yeah. rather than rather than protect it, which I think is really interesting. And I'm wondering, because I think I've, I've seen a lot of people um, who have read the comics saying, like, oh, I can't wait for you guys to see what the, what the twist is kind of thing. So I'm thinking, like, but I reckon that's that's probably the most ob- obvious twist it could be that he's gone to conquer Earth instead of taking over. So I'm wondering the way that people are reacting about this. I'm wondering if it's something else. And for the fact now that we've seen that he's on evil, doing evil stuff, and he doesn't give a shit. So like, it makes you think there must be something else behind it rather than him conquering. It must be something yeah, completely maybe. different. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm probably... cu- I'm very curious to see now what it might be, or uh, if it is just the conquering stuff. I don't know. That's what I'd say. Chris, any thoughts on Invincible? Yeah, no, I thought it was good at, good at, to be fair. Uh, I must have missed the part, point where the robot falls in love, but... Um, <laughs> to me, that's very subtle. Yeah. Um, apparently, yeah. Apparently, that happens way later in the comics, apparently. Like, not in the first issue, or first volume, or whatever. Apparently, it happens, like, volume 12 or something. Yeah, and uh, it's the first time I'm probably agreeing with the, the uh, arsehole character as well, because... Which uh, one? The one who he stole his image Re- of. Oh, Re- right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, Mr. Invincible himself needs to just uh, get a bit smarter with how he does things. I'm, his girlfriend annoys me, though. Like, she, she, she's raw. I'm not going to lie. She's raw. Like, she knew he was the superhero, but she's not happy that she didn't tell him. But yeah. if he told her, then she'd be in the... I don't know. There's a lot I of... I think that's kind of out of order, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. What can you do? Yeah, I don't think there's an awful lot more to say about it, there, to be there, honest. There isn't. There isn't. I, I feel like people are really overhyping this series. I'm just... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not doing, like, too much different. Uh, and the fact that they just keep throwing us different characters and villains and then either killing them off or... It feels sort of more like like an anthology. Like, it doesn't feel like one cohesive season, mm. necessarily. It's just sort of like, hey, you know those, like, I guess, like, Power Rangers, when every episode they just fight a different villain and that's yeah. it. Yeah, villain just, week. 
and then rinse and repeat. I mean, there's a there's a few overarching threads, but I'm not not that interested. I will watch the season finale unless it's like, you know, what season was it of Game of Thrones? Was it it's season six yeah. where like, everyone got irked? Unless yeah. it was like that, and you're like, what? Then I probably won't watch season two. Fair enough. Fair enough. Although, I was H- going to say. Oh, sorry, go. No, I was just going to quickly say HBO have said that House of the Dragon prequel series is going to France to start filming. Oh yeah, I was going to, just quickly, yes, I want to come back to that, but the Invincible thing, I will just say it was really, really cool when um, Omni-Man spotted all those invisible people in his house and he just started murking everybody. I thought that was hilarious. And mm. the way he, the way he was killing them as well, I thought it was bare funny. And I thought, I thought it was really funny that Immortal had come back and just died again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the Game of Thrones thing. So, I'm curious to know what you guys... Do you guys think, one, that this series will be good? And two, do you think people will actually watch this? Or do you think they've betrayed a lot of people's trust with how season eight ended? Chris, do you want to go first? Um, I have no in, real interest in watching this series. Uh, if I'm totally honest. Um, I, I'll be honest. I, I like Game of Thrones, but maybe I wasn't his biggest hype man. Mm. Uh, but... I think the conclusion of Game of Thrones is a real sour note. Mm. Uh, And I'll be honest, prequel series, right? Yeah. Now I've probably gone, I probably have said it many a times in podcasts that I would like to see a prequel series of this, a prequel series of that. But like, I actually don't think I care. Like, I don't know if it's because there's such a long time period between when we finished to now. Mm. I don't think I've got the like the feels for it anymore. But mm. then if it comes out and people hype about it, I probably will go and watch it. Mm. So I think this has got a re- really ride a hype train to get people back on it. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, sorry, I'm rant is a bit there. I don't know. I, I think it's a real tough one because if they brought it out the year, year after Game of Thrones, part of you is like yes. They're capitalising, actually not even on the hype because there was quite a lot of disappointment, but mm. even if it had finished well, you think is it too soon? Do we need a bit of a breather? Or now it's been, what, three years by the time it comes out? Four? Has it been think, three years? Maybe, you know. when did Game of Thrones finish? Feels it definitely wasn't last year, so... Um, the year after I went Napa is when it finished, I'm pretty <laughs> Right, let's consult the oracle that is the internet. Yeah. About three and a half years ago, um, right? But I think it's a balance. Um, so season eight came out not 2019, so okay. two years. Fair enough. So even plus long. Second contact. I mean. I'm also conflicted in my mind with the sense that what I loved so much about Game of Thrones was like Ramin Jawadi's score, you know, like the iconic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so part of me wants them to sort of do a twist on that to make you think, yes, this is connected. Um, yeah. And to keep a lot of the same visual, like uh, set design elements, because I mm. think the kind of way it was, set designed and the colour palette they used and everything like that was what stood out for me. So I'd want a lot of that same production design. Mm. 
The other part of me thinks, actually, because it's a prequel, do you need to make it different? I don't know. To me, I've sort of got those vibes of, like, a Top Gun 2. Like, okay, you're, I know it's not 25 years after the original or 35, like Top Gun 2 will be, but to me, it's sort of, like, been so long now in my mind that I'm like, mm, am I bothered? Do I want yeah. it to be... Do I want it to be basically the same quality and the same as season one seven? Yes, pretty much. Um, but is that then not differentiating it enough? It, mm. I, I really don't know. Mm. I, I will watch it. I don't have same. particularly high expectations. So, but yeah, I think they've got who they've got. They've got Matt Smith in it, haven't they? Um, and Olivia Cook. So that could be that's two actors, actresses that I like. So maybe there's hope there. Um, but I'm kind of similar to you, Glenn. I, I'm definitely going to watch it and I can't say I won't I'm, because I love Game of Thrones and I still think Game of Thrones is one of the best TV shows I've ever watched, um, regardless of the ending, which I didn't hate as much mm-hmm. as everyone else did. Um, so yeah, I'm always going to give this, this a chance. Um, I am a little bit worried only due to the fact that the best season, take away season six, the best seasons of Game of Thrones, seasons one to four, were all based off of the books and I have no idea if this House of Targaryen series is based off any book or if it's just going by um, regular showrunners but as we got the more we progressed through Game of Thrones the more it became very TV-like um, if that makes any sense yeah yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I, I would hope that this series isn't like that uh, even though like, like I said season 6 for me is my favourite season of Game of Thrones and I think that wasn't based off of the books. So if they made every season of this, like season six of Game of Thrones, then I'm with it. But I don't have the strongest faith in them to be able to do that. Uh, and just last thing I wanted to ask you to, if you had to pick between watching this or watching the Lord of the Rings series, which one would you watch? House of Dragon. Chris? Uh, probably Lord of the Rings. Yeah. What I hope they do what wikipedia is saying is it's based on material in the fire uh in the in fire and blood which is uh i guess encyclopedia history of house targaryen right not necessarily like a narrative novel i just hope they don't do anything that makes you think that contradicts something in the main series oh yeah that'll fuck me off yeah Oh, you know, massively, yeah. like like have a character. I don't know, have like Tyrion appear or something, and you're like, hey, <laughs> hang on, what? He's like 900 years old or something, you know? Or kill off a character or say something that just contradicts something in in yeah. the Game of Thrones series because yeah. you know you you've got no excuse for that. Yeah. Um, I I guarantee that's going to happen. By the way, something major as well. I guarantee it. Yeah. Um, also, just yet another appeal to George R R Martin to. Just finish the fucking series, mate. You still got two <laughs> books to write. Twenty eleven was the last book you released. Not only have we had eight seasons of Game of Thrones in that time, they're also now producing the prequel series. <laughs> that was very passionate. You are not gonna live forever, George R. R. <laughs> you're, you're angry, mate. Isn't it? <laughs> I like I like Angry Glenn. <laughs> I am. We've had angry Glenn. We've had Glenn who's crying. What's up? I'm showing the whole range of emotions. Give me an Oscar, man. Give me an Oscar. Sure. 
I'm sure more rings than Vin Diesel has. You want an Oscar? You want an Oscar? All right, 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 right. Doing it for family. Vin Diesel impression I've ever heard. I'm not trying to do Vin Diesel. I'm just saying family. I was gonna say. (laughs) Sound more like Peggy Mitchell. Peggy Mitchell. That's jokes. I'm not just a little slag. I'm a total slag. slag. Oh, You're not though. my mama! Yes, I am! <laughs> That's one of the best EastEnders scenes I've ever seen, mate. Iconic. Iconic. Oi. That's the biggest oh shit moment I've ever seen on TV. Forget Frank the- pushing that woman in front of the train. Forget, like, <laughs> Tom and committing suicide and the set blowing up. The fact that Cat Slater was Zoe's mum. Oh, Mind duff, duff. Mind blown. Uh, yeah. All you need now is drunk, Glenn, and then you've got the whole range. We'll see that in a few days, I reckon. No, yeah, I, I won't. Take a video for me, Obes. Oh, man. No worries. Uh, I mean, I just get a lot more crude, don't I? So... Yeah, actually, it's quite funny. <laughs> Shouldn't go on uh, audio recording format, not to be put on SoundCloud. Um, yeah. Any more? for any more before we wrap up? I'm all tapped up. Tapped out. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have indeed listened, you wouldn't get this far if you haven't. Um, do follow us on Twitter. We're at YAC Podcast 17. We're also on Instagram as The Ravage Critics. You can find us on Apple and Spotify. Um, and I know we keep teasing it, but maybe sometime Obi will get a haircut and put himself on YouTube. Um, for too late. So. Yeah, so please do all of that and give us a five star review. Keep you sexy. Oh, sorry. Keep you sexy. Yeah, always keep sexy.